When it comes to health and longevity and mitochondrial health, the name of the game is more diversity in your gut microbiome. We'll talk all about that with our featured guest, Dr. Terry Walls. And any uh, expert says, I found the way, the only way, the correct way, is a reason to quit listening to that expert. You know, our evolutionary history says, okay, we, we originated in equatorial Africa, we migrate into all these ecosystems across the globe, we have reproductive success. We clearly have demonstrated that there are many different eating patterns that uh, humans can thrive in. There's one that we can be very confidently say, we will not thrive in, and that's a lot of added sugar, a lot of processed food, fast foods, the westernized, uh, commercialized diet. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast. I have a guest today who is somebody I have followed for so many years, and I finally got her on the show. And her story is just so inspiring, pain to purpose in this story today. You might know Dr. Terry Walls and the Walls Protocol. You might not, but she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in a wheelchair. Her doctor said she would never walk again. She thought her life was over until she made some changes with her nutrition and her lifestyle. And now she's speaking all across the world, educating people, helping people with MS and just mitochondrial health. So we'll talk a lot about mitochondria, but it all kind of boils down to your gut, the gut microbiome. You know, Hippocrates said a very long time ago, all disease begins in the gut. And then we have Harvard, which came out with a study a couple years ago showing that all disease begins in the leaky gut. So modern medicine is catching up to <laughs> what these brilliant doctors said a long time ago. And we'll talk about that, but she shares, we'll share her story first. And she cries during her story. It's very emotional. You might cry too, so grab a tissue. And we get into the microbiome, some of the faulty ways of testing it, food sensitivity, the, the flaws with food sensitivity testing, how to increase diversity in the gut. We get into your poop. Look at your poop. That's the best gut diversity test you could ever do, she says. And she'll explain are your poops looking like rocks or logs or sticky logs or snakes or pudding or tea? Sounds disgusting, but hey, it's important to look at your poop and see how healthy your gut is from that. And then we get into hormesis, specifically the role of vegetables and plant toxins as a hormetic benefit. Yeah, lectins, oxalates, and all and phytates and all these anti-nutrients that we villainize 
but there could be a, a role for it. And she actually throws a lot of question marks, to say the least, with people who do strict carnivore for a long time. So you're going to hear about that. And she's not opposed to carnivore. I'm not either. I love carnivore short term. We're on that same page. And she'll talk about that. She says plant variation will be critical for gut health. Whoa. We get into the Wallace protocol and some of the amazing tools she's developed to counteract these mitochondrial diseases, including MS. We get into a clinical trial she's doing for people with relapsing MS and how you could actually participate in that trial. You'll learn about the details of that. We get into olive oil, her favorite antioxidant loaded with polyphenols. You get into some research on how real olive oil lowers risk of stroke, heart attack, dementia, anxiety, depression. I love, love, love olive oil. You'll hear about that and it'll inspire you to use more olive oil and so much more. I can't wait to bring her on. Before I do, I want to acknowledge the Apple podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Dyer titled Keto Camp. The recent podcast with Dr. Mindy Pels has been one of my favorites. You give such great information yourself and with your guest. The learning is endless. Thank you so much, Dyer. Uh, I've had Dr. Mindy Pels, my friend and my colleague on the show several times. Everybody loves Mindy. I'm so glad you did too. And thank you for listening to the show and also taking the time to leave that rating and review. If you haven't done so, uh, please leave the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening from. And maybe I'll read yours and give you a shout out on the next episode. Okay, let's get into this amazing conversation with Dr. Terry Walls. Dr. Terry Walls is a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa, where she teaches internal medicine residents, sees patients in a traumatic brain injury clinic, and conducts clinical trials. She's also a patient with a chronic progressive neurological disorder, secondary progressive multiple sclerosis, which confined her to a tilt-recline wheelchair for four years. But thanks to the power of the WALS protocol, which is based on functional medicine and the WALS paleo diet, Dr. Walls restored her health and now pedals her bike five miles to work each day. She's the author of The Walls Protocol, Minding My Mitochondria, and Got Out of My Wheelchair. We'll drop links for her books down below. Here's the amazing Dr. Terry Walls. Dr. Terry Walls, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. I was just telling you offline that your story is just so incredible. It's a perfect example of how resilient and incredible and capable the human body is. And I know you've shared your story so many times. And I'd love for you, before we get into all the amazing things you're doing in your books and MS and autoimmune disease, I would love for you to go back and share your story with us. And what were some of the things that led to the progression of MS? And then what were some of your findings and everything that you went through along the way? Sure. So I'll sort of tell it in real time. 20 years ago, out walking with my wife, Jackie, a half mile from home, my left leg becomes weak. Dragging it, I hobble home. The next day, I see the neurologist who says, Terry, this could be bad. We're really, really bad. Um, So at night, in bed next to Jackie, I'm thinking about the 20 years of worsening electrical face pains that I've had. Uh, And uh, I don't want to become disabled. So actually, I'm praying for a rapidly fatal diagnosis. Three weeks later, after all the workup is done, I hear the words multiple sclerosis. I find the best MS center in the country. 
I see the best neurologist take the newest drugs. Three years later, I'm in a tilt-reclined wheelchair. My face pains are relentlessly worse. My 10-year-old daughter hugs me as tears stream down my face. But, you know, I am a physician, uh, so night after night I go to PubMed and I go back to reading the basic science. I'd already, after 20 years of being a vegetarian, I had switched to a paleo diet. I'd been doing that for five years. But now I'm reading the basic science. I uh, decide that mitochondria are key, and I identify supplements to support my mitochondria. And the speed of my decline slows, and I'm very grateful, but I am still declining. Then I discover a study using electrical stimulation of muscles. I ask my physical therapist, can I try that? He calls it E-STEM. He says it's for athletes and that the uh, E-STEM is quite painful, and he knows I have a lot of MS-related pain. But I convince him to give me a test session. And he's right. It hurts bad, really, really bad. But when it's over, I feel great. He says that's because of the endorphins. And so we add E-STEM to my physical therapy. I go three times a week. After a couple of weeks, he gets me a home-going device. I discover uh, the Institute for Functional Medicine. I take their course in neuroprotection. I have a longer list of supplements. And then I have this really big aha. Of course, I, now I'm sort of embarrassed about how long it took me to have this aha. But what if I redesigned my paleo diet based on all the basic science that I've been studying and what I learned in functional medicine, this, these 17 different nutrients I, I was taking? What if I redesigned my paleo diet Based, based on that. So I, uh, it, now it takes me a couple more months uh, of research to figure out where those ingredients are in the food supply. And I start this new way of eating in December 26, 2007. Now for context, at that time, I'm so weak I cannot sit up in a regular chair. Uh, and it's been years since I've been able to go to a restaurant, go to a movie theater, sit at the table with my family for supper. I had a zero-gravity chair with my knees higher than my nose, one at work, one at home. And when we drove up to Wisconsin to see uh, family, uh, we'd extend my uh, seat fully back. We'd have elastic straps to buckle me in. Where was your mind at that Like at that moment? Were you victim mindset? Were you, I'm going to well, get through this? Like, were you back and forth between both? So, you know, in 2000, uh, when I was diagnosed, I was still running, you know, biking, hiking uh, with my kids. Uh, within a year, I, I couldn't run anymore. In three years, I'm in the, in the short recline wheelchair. And so I have to keep reimagining what it means to be a parent, what it means to be uh, a spouse. And inside, you know, I'm terrified. Very grim future. It's very clear I'm going to come bedridden. Uh, demented. My uh, trigeminal neuralgia is relentlessly worse, more frequent, more severe. And, you know, when it, when it turns on, a breeze triggers the pain, light sound triggers the pain, talking triggers the pain, chewing triggers the pain, swallowing triggers the pain. I go into the pain clinic, I get injections, I go to the infusion center, I get uh, a gram of solumedrol. Uh, in that summer of 07, um, 
it took five days of infusions before it would turn off. So, and I've had 27 years of this getting worse. So I know I'm going to have it turn permanently on. And um, after big conversations that Jack and I have, that we change my medical durable power of attorney and my living will so that if I stop talking, because talking triggers intolerable pain. And for context, you know, I, I've broken bones, uh, I've had surgeries, I've had active labor. And when my pain is turned on, it's far more painful than broken bones, post-op pain, uh, active labor. It is by far the worst pain I've, I've ever known. And uh, when it turns on, that jolt of pain is so great, it, it wipes out all of my sensory input. I am blind for a moment. All I see is white uh, because of the pain. And uh, if you look up in Wikipedia, it'll tell you trigeminal neuralgia is the most intense pain known to humanity. And like, dear God, it is. So in 2007, um, you know, before I discovered ESTEM and functional medicine, I'm coming to terms with I'll be bedridden by my illness, I'll be demented by my illness because I'm beginning to have brain fog, and my trigeminal neuralgia will turn permanently on. I will stop eating, I will stop swallowing, I will stop speaking, and there'll be no IV fluids, no tube feeds, uh, and I will die of dehydration. So it'll take, you know, probably a couple of weeks. But it was hugely comforting to know, like, okay, there, there will be uh, an end to it. And, you know, I'm still working at that time. Unfortunately, I did not have, you know, I had a little bit of brain fog. Uh, things were not quite as clear as they had been. My chief of staff that summer had pulled me into his office to tell me he was assigned me to the traumatic brain injury clinic and that I would be starting there in January. And they described the job, and I knew, like, physically it was nothing that I could do. And so, like, okay, now I, I finally will have to apply for uh, disability. And, you know, I uh, told Jack that, you know, come January, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the traumatic brain injury clinic and either I can do the job or if I can't, then we have to apply for disability at that time. So that summer is, is interesting. It was just two weeks after John had called me in to tell me I was going to traumatic brain uh, clinic that I discovered electrostimulation of muscles. And about that same time, I discovered the Institute for Functional Medicine. I take their course. Uh, and then, you know, in October, I realized I should redesign my diet. So it takes me now a couple of months to figure out the, these food ingredients that I'm going to be stressing. And at first, and you know, I just have these lists of foods that I'm, that I'm going to be sure that I'm eating. And I start this new way of eating December 26th. Then the first two weeks of January, I'm in the traumatic brain injury clinic. And yeah, I'm just watching my partners from, from my tilt recline wheelchair. It's like, I should be able to watch. So I was like, okay, that, that's all right. The third week, it's now it's my turn to start examining the patients. And so that first day, I examine my patients and write the notes. And it, I come home that day, and Jackie asks, so how did it go? 
Like, well, I guess not too bad. And then at the end of the week, I'd done, I'd done uh, four clinics uh, in the traumatic brain injury clinic, and it was okay. And I said, you know, maybe I can do this. And then at the end of January, I thought, I think I can do this. You know, it seems to be a little easier to set up. And so we bring a desk chair to the table, and I, I sit, have supper with my family in a regular chair. That's a really big deal. Uh, and then in February, you know, and I'm doing my e-stem, my physical therapist says, you know, I think you're getting stronger, Terry. And he advances my exercises. And now, mind you, I'm doing little bitty, itsy-bitsy, tiny little but I, I was very good at being a former athlete. I was absolutely committed to exercising every day. So I had these little tiny little 10-minute mat exercises I was doing. If I did more, I, I couldn't function. We moved it up to 15 minutes. And then I'm you know, up to uh, 15 minutes twice a day. Then you know, I decided to try walking down the hall to mail uh, a letter. And people are stunned because they haven't seen me walking in, in years. Then I started walking with walking sticks, then walking around the hospital without walking sticks. And then in Mother's Day, I decided, I'm, you know, biking used to be a really big thing for uh, our family. Uh, and I like that a lot. And I, I wanted to try riding my bike again. Now it had been six years. My uh, 16-year-old boy, who's six foot five, he was very clear, no, that should not happen. My 13-year-old daughter said, no, that should not happen. But Jackie and I talked. She decided that we could try. And she told my son to jog in the left, my daughter to jog in the right. She would follow. You know, and I, I got on my bike, and I biked around the block. And that big 16-year-old boy, he's crying. My 13-year-old daughter's crying. Jackie's crying. I'm crying. And I still cry talking about that moment. Because at that moment, I understood that secondary progressive multiple sclerosis, the understanding for that is incomplete. And who knew how much recovery might be possible? Every day, I'd bike a little bit. Uh, and then in October, Jackie signed, signed us up for the Courage Ride, 18.5 miles. And it was like, however far I went, it was going to be cool. And I had to take several breaks, but I crossed that finish line. And my kids are crying. Jackie's crying, and I'm crying again. And, and of course... That fundamentally changes how I think about disease and health. It will change the way I practice medicine, and it will change the focus uh, of the research that I do. That is such a beautiful, beautiful story. Perfect example of the, the amazing human body. You know, you started to remove some of the interference. You changed your diet. You, you took some supplements. You did the um, physical therapy with the E-STEM and oh my gosh, in less than a year, you went from like being in a wheelchair to riding on a bike and walking down the hall in less than a year. And then you ran that race. I mean, that is 
remarkable. So, and it completely changed your paradigm. And it's exciting because not only is it exciting for you personally, because you get to heal your body, but the potential of everybody else that might have gone the other path. So what were the, the light bulbs? And what were some of the things you started to really investigate after you started to get these uh, benefits yourself? Well, you know what, what happened is it first, it changed what I was doing in clinic. So, you know, now I sort of laugh that maybe God was whispering in John's ear to say, you know, put Terry in the traumatic brain injury clinic, because in that clinic, you know, the, the, the paradigm was there's nothing we can do for these people. They'll either recover or not. You can give them a smartphone and give them antipsychotics. So they don't kill anyone. And I come in and say, no, 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 there's a lot we can do. We can fix your diet. We can do physical therapy. We can get step counters. Uh, we can talk about your sleep. And then in primary care, I started talking to people about what they were eating, what they were doing. Uh, I'm talking biochemistry. The residents think I'm talking about the newest drug, but I'm talking about turmeric and broccoli, you know, and, and uh, cabbage and onions and, and beets, you know. So, so I teach biochemistry and, you know, what's going on. And then they're like, now what drug is that? <laughs> And then we go talk to the res, uh, to the to the vets, and because I'm talking about real life uh, lived experience, the residents were astounded at how easily I could convince uh, the veterans to make these very big changes in their diet and their lifestyle. Not all of them, but to get half, I'd say, very consistent, I could get half the vets to make substantial changes in their diet. So that when they came back in three months, we are markedly reducing their blood pressure meds, their diabetic meds, their um, psych meds, because they're experiencing uh, remarkable improvements to their health. So you cleverly were explaining <laughs> turmeric and all these food compounds in a way that sounded like it was medication. Brilliant. Love that. Hey, Keto Camper, it is time to get your shift together. What do I mean? Sugar Shift is a unique probiotic designed as a working system to convert the sugars, glucose, and fructose in your gut to the free radical scavenger mannitol, which also feeds a healthy gut microbiome, supports the mitochondria, and by the way, it increases the production of butyrate, which helps protect the gut lining and is one of the main ketone bodies. You heard of it, beta-hydroxybutyrate. This is one of my favorite formulas. It's an eight-strain formula built as a working system to provide specific gut functions, and it's unique in its probiotic formulation. One of my favorite things about this product is that it breaks down and detoxifies glyphosate. The product also includes strains that has been shown to improve muscle mass and support changes in body mass. I've used it with several of my Keto Camp Academy students, and they have reported to me it's helped them with their sugar cravings. It helped them with their transition from sugar burner to fat burner. Helps to keep them in ketosis and take the results to another level. Helps when they hit a plateau. Improves digestion. In a recent study, BiotiQuest, the company that makes Sugar Shift, showed huge improvements in blood sugar reduction, A1C reduction, also reducing LPS, which is an endotoxin that can create inflammation in your body. If you'd like to get your hands on a bottle of Sugar Shift from BiotiQuest, head to BiotiQuest.com 
which is spelled B-I-O-T-I-Q-U-E-S-T. And then put the coupon code CAMP, K-A-M-P-1-0 at checkout. And also check out their other products as well. We'll drop links down below with the coupon code in the podcast notes. What's the connection here between the gut microbiome and the brain and MS? What is the connection there? Yeah. You know, it's sort of wild. Um, at when I first was reading and figuring this stuff out, I was reading um, about the mitochondria in nutraceuticals. Then I figure out, yeah, I should be eating food, so that figure out where these ingredients are in the food supply. I wasn't reading anything about the microbiome yet. You know, that, that's 2004 to 2007. And the microbiome's probably not on many people's, you know, mind. There's not that much research going on. We have since learned that the microbiome is huge, that you and I have about 25,000 genes, sort of. Uh, and then we have, if we have a healthy microbiome, five to nine million genes in that microbiome. We have more appreciation now that our ancestral mothers, you know, millions of generations ago, as they developed their random mutations for the genes that no longer worked very well for a particular biochemical pathway, if her microbiome could do that path, it was no big deal. So at that moment, she had exported the genetic instructions for that biochemical pathway to her microbiome. Therefore, you know, as long as you have a, a diverse microbiome, you could fill in the gaps and have great health. There's a lot of research, great research, and we have some microbiome collaborators that we work with that are trying to figure out, so what microbes should we have? And now, you know, my, my conclusion is that what you need are the pathways. We have to have the pathways filled in for the things that that we can't do. And my ancestral mothers over those millions of generations solved that in a wide variety of ways. So depending on if my ancestral mother came from Northern Europe or from Africa or Asia, North America or South America, it's gonna be a different mix of microbes that fill in that gap, uh, which is why uh, some of the microbiome research uh, is inconsistent. Uh, it depends on what part of the world that you're from. And then now we travel around, mix each other up. And so that makes how we solve that microbiome diversity that we need to have those healthy metabolites. So you, you said diversity is very important, right? We know people that are healthy have diversity in their gut. But you said there's some pitfalls with some of the microbiome testing. So I want to ask you this question. What are your thoughts on testing the diversity in your gut, like a stool sample, versus some of the, like, uh, the companies that actually give you certain supplements to promote more diversity? Do you like that type of, type of testing? What are your favorites? Well, this was a very interesting conversation I just had last week with Asha Mangalam, who is my microbiome colleague that, that we partner with. You know, three years ago, we thought more diversity was uniformly a good thing. Well, not necessarily. You know, Ashu will come back and say, we just don't understand this field well enough. I think we should all be testing your microbiome every single day. And you should do it every time you poop, you stand up, you turn around, you look at the toilet. And 
for researchers, we like to give numbers. So there's one to seven for your, your poop classifications. I prefer a much earthier version. Are you pooping rocks, logs, sticky logs, or smooth logs, snakes, pudding, or tea? Rocks are a problem. Sticky logs that are hard to get out are a problem. Soft, easy logs and snakes that you can control that get out only when you want them to, that's ideal. Pudding and tea, uh, that's a problem. So that's the best diversity test. Look at your poop. <laughs> Look at your poop. And can you control it? Can you get it out comfortably and easily? Are you getting it out every day? Um, and uh, though that's really easy. The, the question of which microbes you're supposed to have, how much diversity you're supposed to have, that research is, is a little inconsistent. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting because what are your thoughts on food sensitivity testing? I'll, I'll share my thoughts real quick and then I want to hear your thoughts on my thoughts. I don't like it because it, the microbiome is changing so much and somebody could do a, do a food sensitivity test today, not change anything, do it again in 14 days and there's different foods that are flagged versus ones. So do you feel the same way about food sensitivity tests? You know, the beauty and the curse of my early clinical time in functional medicine was that I was in the VA. Uh, I had no access to any kind of advanced uh, functional medicine testing, food sensitivity testing. So we just basically put them on the Walls diet, took out gluten, dairy, and eggs, ramped up the vegetables, and the vast majority of them did amazingly well. Now, I would occasionally do what I call the elimination diet, for people who had inflammatory bowel disease or a uh, autoimmune problem involving their joints, then I take out all grains, all legumes, all nightshades for three months, and then I put the ingredients back in one at a time to figure out which ingredients are a problem. How many days, one at a time, how many days in a row? Before? I, I have them in general, pick one day that you're going to do this. Usually Sunday is really convenient here in Iowa. So you have a whole lot of whatever it is that I'm trying to, to have you add again, do it on Sunday, and then record your symptoms for the week. If you have more physical symptoms, more uh, mental health symptoms, then that ingredient is not working out. Take it back out. So one ingredient per week is what you're saying here? Correct. Okay, got it. And, you know, we, we had fabulous results. I, I think the food sensitivity testing make people crazy. You end up with very restrictive diets and people don't reintroduce their foods, this creates uh, a huge problem. I do have some folks who, who are very committed to doing food sensitivity testing, uh, and uh, they'll do that. Then they get distressed. They don't know how to deal with the results, and they don't know what to eat. And you know, I can get very concerned that people develop what we call orthorexia, where you're afraid of your food. Now it becomes harder and harder to eat. And then we have people who are so afraid of lectins that they are going to go on a, a zero lectin diet and they're just going to eat meat uh, and animal products. However, you know, again, I'll t I can talk to my basic science colleagues that animal products have lectins. Dairy has is very rich source of lectins. Eggs uh, a rich source of lectins. Meats and fish. Uh, also have lectins in them. So if you want to have a zero lectin diet, you either have an elemental diet, which tastes really terrible, and you end up with a uh, very narrow uh, microbiome, uh, and you're going to have 
major health challenges if you try to do an elemental diet for very long. So wait, uh, lectins in, you said meat and dairy and eggs, how does that compare? Well, they're, they're also in plants. I know that they're in plants. I know that they're mo mostly in like nightshades. Uh, so how much lectins are in plants compared to how much lectins are in these animal products? Well, it's there, there are more lectins in plants. The other thing that, that I think is really interesting is the lectin debate. Uh, people will be very gung-ho on hormetic stress. I think of the Iceman taking ice baths, cold plunges, Wim Hof. We love Wim Hof. I love my ice baths. Uh, I love my sauna. I love, you know, doing a sauna up to 160, which is quite remarkable since I have MS. Uh, I love it, do uh, really well. I like doing high-intensity interval training. Uh, and a lot of my ancestral health colleagues, carnivore colleagues, love hormetic stress. And they like to point out to me that plants are filled with compounds that are poisons. Absolutely. And I agree. Absolutely true. And they are wonderful hormetic stress for our cellular physiology. By eating a wide variety of plants, I am giving my uh, cells the signals that my ancestral mothers and fathers would have received as we you know, were primates for millions of years and then hom homos at the genus for 2.5 million years uh, and Homo sapiens 250,000 years. Most of humanity has been eating a wide variety of plants throughout that whole time, and that spoke beautifully to our antioxidant response elements to the NRF2 pathways and allowed for a more efficient operation of our detoxification pathways. So it's great hormetic stress. People know I like kale. I think kale, collards, uh, great food. If I have kale and collards every single day, the toxins in the kale and collards will eventually do me in. Uh, you know, I'll, be, I'll become ill. But if, if I have kale, then I have uh, microgreens, uh, then I have parsley, then I'll have spinach, then I'll have lettuce. Now I, I'm getting the benefits of the diversity uh, and my uh, physiology will do very well. So... What you're saying is it's the variation that's very important. And I agree with you about hormesis and how a lot of these carnivore folks love hormesis when it comes to cold exposure and sauna and exercise, but they kind of forget, hey, there's it's a hormetic effect with the plant. So I agree. And I also love carnivore short term as another tool too, but I'm not an extreme carnivorist. But let me let me ask you this. What about somebody who has just compromised leaky gut, really severe autoimmune disease, would they benefit with a animal-based approach for 30 to 60 days and then they could start introducing those plant toxins? Well, so here, here's my thoughts uh, with the carnivore people. And I've had uh, this conversation with uh, a number of the physicians who are big champions in the carnivore. And we've offered to help them multiple times that I have never, uh, and, I've, and I've told them that we want to know how to use this. So please start with writing a case series of here are the patients that we've seen, here are the diagnoses, here's the protocol that we used in the outcome, and here are the side effects that we run into and how we deal with it. It's a very descriptive clinical uh, paper. We have medical students and postdocs uh, who would love to uh, help them write that paper. So far, we've not been able to do that. Until 
we get that kind of data, then um, I can't use that type of diet in clinical practice. I don't know who the patient is that would benefit. I don't know how to safely monitor them. I don't know how to tell them here are the potential side effects, and here's who should definitely not. Now, I have had a number of carnivore patients who have done the carnivore, not done well, got shamed and ostracized out, came back, and had some major uh, health issues that we had to help them get through and get back into a paleo diet. It may be a useful tool. It would be extremely helpful if uh, they would write a case series and then do a prospective carnivore clinical trial. You know, and again, we, we've tried to help them do that because it, it may be a useful lower lectin diet. It, there may be a role for it, but without peer-reviewed uh, published literature, how do you use it? Yeah, totally. I, and I respect that. You want to make sure you have the evidence before you start teaching it to your, your patients. I can tell you this, I do love carnivore as a personal tool. I usually do 30 to 40 days of it. And then I'll bring in the plants. I don't do anything long term, even with keto. I do. I love keto, but I practice, you know, going in and out of ketosis. Correct. So. Yeah, and I think that's probably what our ancestors did. Our ancestors, uh, particularly when we moved into northern Europe, there aren't going to be a whole lot of plants around in the Arctic. So you're in a carnivore kind of uh, environment for whatever that winter period is. And then you're back into more plants uh, whenever the, uh, the plants reemerge. I think we can make the case from evolutionary history that for those of us who, who live in the northern climates in the subarctic, that uh, we have done that. Exactly. So, and it works really well for me. I'll, I'll do that maybe two or three times out of the year, 30 days of carnivore. And, I, and I've done some really extensive lab tests, just, ex, you know, N of one, doing a whole bunch of lab work day one, day 40, and seeing what things looked like, plus how I felt. And it's worked really well. Have you ever had it written up as a uh, case report? No, case no, but that's something that I, you know, now that you're bringing it up in the conversation that I, I should, and I will the next time I do it. And I Yes, I, yes, we, we, we definitely, and you can reach back out to me. Perhaps we could get one of our medical students to help you write that up if you're interested. Absolutely. And, and I have my students, they're probably listening now. I have I have thousands of uh, students in my Keto Camp Academy and we do it together, right? So it could be a whole you know group of us doing it yeah. together. Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk about that. But my point is that it works really well for me short term. And then I bring in the plants and I do fine with the plants too. But I think any extreme on any level was bad. Keto, carnivore, the vegan diet. I, I love your pro thought process of it's the variation, it's the change, you know, keep the microbiome guessing and the body guessing. And any uh, expert who says, I found the way, the only way, the correct way is a reason to quit listening to that expert. You know, our evolutionary history says, okay, we, we originated in equatorial Africa, we migrate into all these ecosystems across the globe. We have reproductive success. We clearly have demonstrated that there are many different eating patterns that uh, humans can thrive in. There's one that we can be very confidently say we will not thrive in, and that's a lot of added sugar, a lot of processed food, fast foods, the westernized uh, commercialized diet. If your life is anything like mine, you are constantly juggling responsibilities 
With endless to-do lists, it seems that it is impossible to live without overwhelm these days. And I'm not even talking about how it affects overall well-being, sleep, productivity, and your immune system. Stress slowly infiltrates your life, silently robbing you of magnesium, a vital mineral your body depends on. This is called the vicious stress magnesium deficiency cycle. Have you heard about it? In simple terms, number one, stress strikes. There's mental stress, emotional stress, chemical and physical stress. Number two, your body loses magnesium. Number three, sleep becomes elusive. Energy and productivity plummet and stress levels skyrocket. And number four, more magnesium escapes your body. So how do you break this cycle? Listen up, I found a game changer. It's called Magnesium Breakthrough by Bi-Optimizers. Magnesium Breakthrough contains all seven forms of magnesium, which supports stress management by promoting muscle relaxation, regulating the nervous system, controlling stress hormones, enhancing brain function, boosting energy, and improving sleep. I simply take two capsules before bedtime, and it works really well. Give it a shot. Break free from the vicious cycle, and you've got nothing to lose. Bioptimizers is so confident in their products, they are offering you a risk-free, 365-day money-back guarantee. If you don't see the results, simply claim a refund, no questions asked. To me, that's a win-win. Head over to magbreakthrough.com slash ketocamp and use the coupon code KETOCAMP10 to get 10% off any order for a limited time only, and you will receive special gifts with your purchase. This is only available for KetoCamp podcast listeners over at magbreakthrough.com slash KetoCamp. Use the coupon code. We'll drop that down below. Don't miss out on this opportunity to improve your well-being and life. I want to transition now to really get into MS. Um, I want this to be that episode where when we get messages from people saying, hey, I have MS, or I know somebody who has MS, what can I do? For sure, I always send them to your website, Dr. Walls, but I also want to send them to this, to this episode too as, as a way to get to your website. So what are some of the things in your Walls protocol? If somebody has MS, they're listening to this or watching this on YouTube, or they know somebody who has it. What were what are some of the steps they should be taking? And then you also have a, a special opportunity for a clinical trial that I, we'll talk Correct. about later. So the, the first thing is, think of this as a family intervention. Whatever you and your family will do together, you'll be much more successful. So we know from the clinical research that the Mediterranean diet, a low saturated fat diet, and the modified paleo, uh, the Walls diet, have favorable uh, research. The keto diet, uh, there's some small pilot studies that also has favorable research. So if one of those four diets really speaks to you and your family, then yes, uh, adopt that. The diet that has the largest effect size, that is the biggest uh, favorable change on fatigue reduction and quality of life improvement, uh, is the Walls diet. But the Mediterranean diet also is helpful. Uh, and the keto diet, um, small studies, uh, also helpful. The common themes there is fewer added uh, sugars, less processed food, more non-starchy vegetables, uh, and fewer carbs than the standard American diet. So ramp up your non-starchy vegetables. Uh, ramp up, be sure you're having sufficient protein. Uh, I, I want to know that you have 
the essential omega-3, omega-6 fats, those are fats that we lack the enzymes to make. So we have to eat uh, grass-fed meats, uh, wild fish. You can get some of that through flax uh, and uh, walnut and hemp, but you have to eat 20 times the amount of omega-3s if you get it vegetarian as opposed to uh, animal omega-3s. Uh, some nuts and seeds to so get, get the omega-6 fats. I encourage organ meats, um, you know, oysters, mussels, clams, heart, tongue, uh, very tasty, very delicious. Uh, liver. What about supplementing supplementing with those, like an com- organ meat complex? Yeah, an organ meat complex. Uh, but, you know, come to my house. It, it's it, uh, Liver is so delicious, uh, uh, prepared properly. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, uh, tongue is so delicious, prepared properly. And heart is like a filet mignon. Uh, it's really quite delicious. Yeah. Uh, and uh, fermented foods, um, lactobacillus, bifidobacter, um, great sources, uh, sauerkraut and kimchi. We know during the winter there's a much greater risk of influenza and other respiratory uh, viruses. And if you are eating your kimchi and sauerkraut, beet kvass, uh, regularly, you have a much lower rate of respiratory uh, uh, viral infections. Why is that? We don't really know. Uh, we think it has to do with the bifidobacter and the lactobacillus, but the full mechanism of why that is, we don't know. Interesting. Ah, okay. So eat your kimchi and your sauerkraut, especially during the fall and winter. That'll be good. Yeah, you know, and um, if you have it raw, it's going to be a great source of vitamin C as well. Our intake of vitamin C tends to plummet during the winter because we aren't having as many raw fruits and vegetables. Our grandmothers knew to make sauerkraut, and you had sauerkraut all winter long, uh, which got you your uh, vitamin C. Interesting. Yeah, so if you're traveling during the winter, go on the airplane and eat that raw sauerkraut on the airplane. Eat that sauerkraut. Protect yourself. You also suggest nine vegetables, nine cups of vegetables per day. Yeah, Yeah. you know, it's it's very funny when I uh, uh, would talk to my residents uh, and my uh, vets said, say, okay, uh, the goal is nine cups of vegetables every day. And they go, like, every day? Don't you mean, like, uh, per per week or per month? Uh, And uh, no, no. The goal is uh, I want you to to not be hungry. So it's two palm-sized servings of your meat, fish, poultry, and then ideally uh, a dinner plate of greens, a dinner plate of cabbage, onion, mushroom family vegetables, a dinner plate of deeply colored beets, carrots, berries. That's measured raw. Uh, when you cook them, it's going to you know, shrink by half. So it's doable. Uh, it's, it's doable. Now, I should also point out that the nine cups is for men and tall women. I'm six foot tall. Uh, we would have people who are very petite, you know, a four foot ten uh, female. She's not going to do nine cups. She's probably doing four to six cups. There you go. That's good news for you petite women out there. <laughs> so, and the good thing about the nine cups or six cups each day of vegetables is that you're a fan of changing the vegetables. You're not getting tired of it. You're not going to create some problems and get too many toxins from one source. So Brussels sprouts, broccoli, whatever else that you like. Yeah. You know, and, and do a combination of uh, cooked, uh, raw, fermented. If you are having the pudding and tea, 
Now you need uh, less fiber, so you're not doing raw, you're just doing cooked. If you're having rocks, you need more fiber, so you're doing more fermented uh, and raw. Got it. So so what all these diets have in common, including the Walls Protocol, is that you are getting rid of processed sugar, getting rid of uh, excessive carbohydrates. What do processed sugar, high glucose levels, high insulin levels, what does that do to make MS worse? Well, we know if you have metabolic syndrome, uh, so insulin resistance, it's a shorter time to wheelchair, a shorter time to loss of employment, a shorter time to uh, serious uh, dementia. And that probably has to do with how the brain cleans out the toxins. Uh, And so insulin resistance slows the brain glymphatics, uh, the brain cleaning of beta amyloid uh, and uh, tau proteins that are associated with uh, dementias. That is true whether we're talking MS or any of the other serious systemic autoimmune conditions, uh, whether we're talking rheumatoid arthritis, Sjogren's, uh, inflammatory bowel disease. Got it. Yeah, it makes total sense. Makes total sense. And you have a, you're doing a, a trial, right? This is going to be a, a special opportunity. Yeah. So let's explain what that, how that is. Okay. So if you have relapsing, remitting, multiple sclerosis, we want you, we, we want to enroll you in our clinical trial. Um, we are comparing a ketogenic diet, the modified paleo diet, uh, the Walls diet, and usual diet. And we give uh, tips uh, to the usual diet group on how to reduce their sugar, eat more uh, non-starchy vegetables. We uh, have people come in at month zero, month three, and month 24. At month zero and month 24, you get MRIs. We'll measure walking, hand function, vision function, and working memory. Month zero, three, and 24, we'll also uh, take some blood. The MRIs will let us see, uh, was there a change in brain structure? Uh, did we decrease the number of enhancing lesions? And what, what I'm really excited about, one of my hypotheses is that as people improve their diet, we can get the rate of brain volume loss back to healthy aging rates. Because the rate of brain volume loss in MS is three times the rate of what you see for healthy aging which is why uh, there's so much issue with cognitive decline in people with MS. Um, so uh, that will be a very exciting finding. You know, and, and I also want to be clear that we know that people who sign up to do dietary intervention studies are not like the general public. They're willing, they want to change their diet. The usual care group uh, in every dietary intervention study improves their diet. Even if we tell them just eat your usual stuff, they want to improve their diet. They're going to uh, uh, make some, some efforts to improve their diet. So we anticipate the usual diet group will improve. Uh, we're very hopeful that the keto diet will improve and the paleo diet will improve. It, it may be that the keto diet will have the uh, largest improvement. It may be that the usual diet group does almost as well or just as well as both intervention groups. Um, uh, and we'll be doing some dietary analysis, so we'll know the uh, the usual diet group, how much do they improve their diet. Uh, I'm quite confident that they won't be following the standard American diet. They'll be having a diet that is uh, considerably better than it probably was at baseline, and that, that, that will be interesting. Very interesting. I love that you're doing that. Um, the keto diet that you're going to 
have in this trial? Is that going to be devoid of uh, seed oils? So the uh, keto, uh, yes, we're, we're going to have them use olive oil as their main fat as opposed to butter, cream, and eggs. They still will be able to have some dairy, uh, and they will be able to have eggs. We're working to have more olive oil. And part of the reason we're doing that um, is we want to make this more cardiovascular friendly so that our IRB, the Institutional Review Board, would feel good about us about us having people do a ketogenic diet for two years. Because it's going to be two years straight in ketosis is what you're doing with them. Two years straight in ketosis. That is our goal. Okay, yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's a big ask. That's a big ask. The Both intervention groups, they'll meet with their dietitians. Uh, they'll have uh, monthly support calls to help uh, because it is a, a big ask to be uh, in ketosis. People are doing very well. We're very excited that... We have gotten uh, 50 people uh, into our study. Um, we'll be recruiting probably for another year and a half. Again, we want to get another 100 people in because the goal is to get 156 people into the study. You'll just need to uh, get to Iowa City at month zero, month three, month 24. And our dietitians are uh, pretty adept at helping you figure out how to make this work for you and your family. I think it's wonderful that you're doing that. If you're watching this or listening to this and you currently have MS or you know somebody who has MS, go to the link down below and we're going to put the information for this trial so you can learn more about it. It's going to be a great opportunity for a lot of people to change their lives, many, many lives. The thing you said, olive oil. Do you like olive oil also for the oleocanthal and what that does for the brain? You know, we have so many studies showing... Um, what olive oil uh, does in terms of lowering the risk of uh, stroke, of heart attack, uh, of dementia, anxiety, depression. It looks like it uh, does really good things for uh, risk of relapse as well. And so uh, hydroxytyrosol, uh, I think, is a, a very potent uh, antioxidant. And there's 38 different uh, polyphenols that have been identified. People know that I'm, I have a strong preference that you take your olive oil cold that you don't heat it because when you heat it, you deactivate a bunch of those polyphenols. Yeah. And here's how you know if it's a really high quality olive oil, you take a shot of it and if it makes you cough and burns your throat, that's a good sign. But if it goes down smooth, that's that's probably not a good olive oil. It's, it's not uh, so many uh, polyphenols. And the other thing you can do is put your olive oil in the refrigerator. It should gel. If it doesn't gel your olive oil has been cut with seed oils. Interesting. Okay, there you go. We're all going to be putting our olive oil in the fridge tonight. Make sure it's not cut. You also have a fantastic book. It's called The Walls Protocol. So we'll put a link for that down below. Your website is terrywalls.com. Uh, anywhere else you want them to go? Yeah, so if they go to terrywalls.com forward slash diet, you get a one-page summary uh, of the diet that we use for our clinical trials. Uh, it's a great uh, tip sheet to uh, get you going. Awesome. We're going to put that down below, including everything you spoke about could be found down below. You know, a, couple more, a couple more things that we should suggest is go follow me on Instagram uh, at Dr. Terry Walls. You get to see what I'm eating, uh, uh, little tips uh, and resources. Uh, and you'll see me in the garden, in the woods, uh, and you see me uh, in the kitchen. I love it. We'll put your Instagram down below. I follow you on Instagram. It's a great account. 
Hey, uh, Dr. Terry Walls, I have a favorite vitamin. I think it's really powerful for anti-inflammation, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin. Uh, it's called vitamin G gratitude. And I want to know what you're grateful for today. You know, I am uh, so th thrilled that I have uh, my two kids, uh, Zach and Zeb, uh, who are now uh, adults, uh, 31 and uh, 28, because they got me through a very dark time in my life. Beautiful. Such a blessing. You're an uh, inspiration to many, many people. Keep sharing your story. I'm so grateful we had this conversation. Uh, you'll get the 156 people. You'll change their lives forever. And I want to say thank you, Dr. Terry Walls, for your work and your story and your brilliance. I really appreciate the time you spent with us today. Thank you so much. I told you that this was going to be an emotional episode and a life-changing episode. If you know anybody who has multiple sclerosis or any kind of autoimmune disease, any kind of mitochondrial disease like COVID long haulers, text this episode to them. They have to hear this or they can watch the video version, which is on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash keto camp. Go check out the clinical trial she's doing. We'll put her website down below. And we put all the references, everything she mentioned down below in the podcast notes. Please consider leaving the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review if you haven't done so already. And continue shining your bright light, Keto Camper. I'm grateful for you. I'll see you in the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.